Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we will have honest, courageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. It's the beginning of autumn. The fall equinox has just passed. We are halfway between the longest, brightest day of the year and the shortest, darkest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. And I'm finding myself really appreciating this change of seasons. I'm noticing how the air smells differently, the crunch of leaves underfoot, the sound of geese migrating south. On today's episode, I'm sharing a beautiful conversation I had with Jordan Barnoff, who is an incredible Indigenous leader in clean energy, climate, and community work. And she shares the importance of this connection to land, how it influences her work and her play, and what's at risk when Indigenous and non-Indigenous folks lose our connection to land. There's so much goodness in this episode. I'm so grateful for my time with Jordan, and I hope You love it. Here she is. Tanse, Jordan Bernoff, Nesikasen, Sagatawakotse. Hello, how are you? How is everybody? My name is Jordan Bernoff. I come from the community Cree name being Sagatawak, which means where the rivers open up, otherwise known as Isla Cross, in Treaty 10 territory in northern Saskatchewan. I'm a member of Black Lake First Nation. I'm a Cree woman, Nihio Squil. I make my home in Saskatoon in Treaty 6 territory and kind of go back and forth between Isla Cross and Saskatoon for, for my work and family. And you have multiple leadership roles in the energy sector. Can you talk to us about your work in the space and who you're working with right now? Definitely. So a few different hats. Uh, First hat being the one I wear mainly day to day, which is with my role with the Métis Nation Saskatchewan. So part of my heritage, my background and the community I grew up in is Métis. And so I advise the vice president of the Métis Nation Saskatchewan. She is also the minister of environment and minister of justice. And that's Vice President Michelle Leclerc. We're working on a harvesting agreement for Métis people. So that's very exciting because that kind of determines land use, right? How how we utilize and access our right to, our inherent right as Section 35 rights holders, as Indigenous people, to live off the land. You know, and it differs. Right now, it differs from region to region, from north to south. So it'll be really interesting to see something, you know, that's built by Métis people for Métis people. You know, and it's it really comes from the people that use the land, from citizens. So it's very exciting to to be able to be a part of that. I think it's it's going to be you know we're going to look back on this in in ten twenty years, and hopefully we've reevaluated a few times to fit really what the need is. But yeah, I think it'll be a really beautiful thing for people to be able to you know kind of come back to or reclaim their identity through land use. 
So that's my day-to-day. In my next hat, I'm on the board of Indigenous Clean Energy. So I, I started as a catalyst in 2019, a part of their Indigenous Clean Energy Leadership Program. Out of that, I got into the Bringing It Home Energy Efficiency Program. Tell me about the Bringing It Home Program. Well, Bringing It Home is a wonderful program created by Indigenous Clean Energy. Um, Ian Skolton was leading that work. And now uh, Corey Cote is who they are just a, an incredible team, along with the guidance of, of Chris Henderson and, and the rest of the ICE team. They built out this beautiful program that really helps to elevate you know, the voices from communities and also mobilize projects on energy efficiency particularly addressing housing needs. So, you know, right now in Canada, there's a major housing crisis. And this has existed, I think, since Canada has existed for Indigenous people, that housing is inadequate, it's not safe, and it's not efficient. It's very expensive, especially in, in some of the rural remote communities. Access to energy is few and far between for for some communities when you know a lot of the resources and the energy that is created in Canada comes from the displacement of indigenous people and the exploitation of land and resources so you know this is i think and chris henderson says this a lot you know probably one of the most important things that that ice will do is to really amplify the work of efficiency and, and conservation methods and, and practices and put those into effect. A kilowatt saved is cheaper than a kilowatt created. So that's the exciting and beautiful part, I think. And it, and it really goes back to Indigenous worldview of conservation is just taking what you need, using what you need. Jordan is also working on a new podcast series. So I have been working with a mentor from the David Suzuki Foundation, and we've been pulling together this beautiful podcast called Nosumik, which in Cree, Nosumik translates to um, to be in the bush, to be on the land. And so I wanted to focus with that that title, that theme, because I guess the topic of conversation for the podcast is around conservation from an Indigenous lens. So I have, you know, people who are PhDs, people who are trappers, hunters, fishermen, old cookums, grandmothers, who have, you know, all have perspectives from the land. And then we have the people in in the Western world who are also the PhDs and doctors, lawyers and whatnot. Um, So we kind of have both perspectives where, you know, Western, Western worldview says, you know, a master's, a PhD that grants you merit to speak about these things in a very big, real way. But then we also have our land people, our our cookums, our grandmothers, our knowledge keepers, um, you know, our our um, trappers and hunters who, to us, those are our PhDs. That's a lifetime of of knowledge, of information gathered um, directly from the source, from the land. So I wanted to see the intersection of that conversation really come to life and be able to help people to see that, you know, they're not so different. The scientific terminology, the jargon that, that we use in, in Western world is, is um, you know, it creates a little bit of these divides 
where, you know, we see class and, you know, these romanticized words or, or, or views of Indigenous people, but it's like, no, these are our, our doctors. These are our, our knowledge holders. So I really wanted to, to see that in action. So that's what the podcast is about. That'll be coming out in the fall. You are also a guide at your family's land-based camp and you're a hunter and a wild rice harvester. What do you see as the link between connection to the land and your career and climate and energy solutions? Well, I think it started when I was very young, you know, from being out in the bush with my my cookum and mushum and my parents, you know, whether it was like berry picking or um, hunting or, or just just being outside at the cabin. You know, sometimes I didn't want to go berry picking. Sometimes I didn't want to do those things. And I wanted to be a kid and like be inside on video games and whatever. But, you know, I was taught that there's so much value and there's this appreciation that that we need to see. And I think that just kind of continued and was just very much kind of ingrained in who I was from a very young age. And I think also inherently um, my connection to the land, you know, comes from my grandmothers and the grandmothers before that who, you know, were medicine women or people who depended very much on the earth. Um, And I think, you know, this generation and the generations of recent, I guess, and, and, you know, it's not only a non-Indigenous and Indigenous thing, but I think a lot of people have become very disconnected to that appreciation for the for the earth and, you know, all the teachings that come from it. And I think we often mistake teachings, you know, when we say teachings or this this knowledge that comes from the land, that can often, you know, that's another thing that we romanticize is that like, oh, well, we need to be out there with this knowledge keeper or this elder and they need to teach us these things. It's like, no, you need to get out on a canoe and you need to struggle for hours. (laughs) And there's lessons in that. You need to get outside and be rained on, you know, you need to get outside and experience the earth for all her beauty all of that struggle struggle you know because that's that's what it's really about and you know that's where a lot of these teachings come from is you know really understanding the power and influence that the earth has on what we do and you know the humility at the very foundation of all of that is you know as human beings we we place ourselves at the top of that hierarchy and i think we put the earth at the bottom when, you know, really this is, this is a, a triangle we need to flip upside down because we're not more powerful than the earth. And we're beginning to see that and really feel that because of climate change. And, you know, I think Mother Earth is this living being that is asking for a little bit of respect and is doing that in a very harsh, real way that, you know, maybe that's the only way that we're, we're really starting to listen and understand that. So. I think as egotistical humans as we are, we need to, to drop that and start to realize the power and beauty of the earth, that we can be friends and it doesn't need to be this, this weird relationship of you know always fighting against, against her. Why do Indigenous perspectives, knowledge, and leadership matter? for a just, clean energy transition? Indigenous knowledge 
Indigenous people matter in a just transition because of, uh, one, the history. I think historically, Indigenous people, BIPOC people have been displaced from their land. There has been an unfair representation of non-Indigenous people in the energy sector. This also comes into play when we talk about women in that space. And it's just, it's just a really, I guess, unequal space to be in. And that's been the scene for, you know, as long as the energy system has existed. And, you know, the worldview and the place in which Indigenous people and communities come from who we are as people, our identity and the values and the practices that guide us come from the land. And, you know, the number one teaching, I think, and I, I'm only one person, I come from one place. And so I carry that perspective. I can't speak for everybody, but I think, I think it's safe to say for most nations, conservation is at the core of our being, of who we are as Indigenous people, um, of people, as people, as stewards of the land. And so I think just that alone, that, that fact that it guides us in everything that we do and how we're taught and how um, our communities are built, that is important in the energy conversation. And we have an inherent right to protect and to be a part of protecting and saving the earth and so that's that's yeah that's why indigenous people need to be a part of this transition we've been excluded and we've known the solutions for a very long time what do you think the biggest opportunity for non-indigenous people to learn from indigenous teachings on the topic of climate honestly language i think language matters you know when just like at the beginning of this conversation um we I talked about our PhDs who, you know, our engineers are our knowledge keepers. Our, you know, when, when we say, when we say, when you say doctor, we say medicine person. When you say engineer, we say knowledge keeper. So I think the biggest teaching for non-Indigenous people to include Indigenous people in the conversation is definitely around the topic of language. I think language matters, especially when we we think of Indigenous people and communities, traditions, culture. Um, you know, these are also these are all very romanticized terms that we use. You know, and we when we think of that, and what I mean by that is, you know, we think of our ceremony. We think of these things as uh, traditional understandings, right? That you know, this is the way things were. When in fact, this is the way things are. This is, you know, what we practice. One of the things I've heard from, from an elder was that, you know, life is ceremony, you know, and, and our, our ceremonies have um, transcended time and space. And, you know, what we've practiced might look a little bit different, but it definitely feels and feels and impacts us in the same way. And so, you know, as, as evolution has, has gone and, you know, it occurs every single day. So has our, our cultures and our traditions and our understanding of, uh, who we are as people and where we fit into society has also evolved. 
But I think, you know, from a non-Indigenous perspective, a lot of those teachings and practices, you know, from that perspective have have not evolved. Um, And that needs to change. What do you think the potential for the impact of climate feminist leaders and and climate feminism as an approach to this work can look like? I think women have like a very special gift of being able to include voices that may not always be included. You know, I think just by nature of patriarchy and, and the history of, of, I guess, really the the global economy where we've sat in that as women as femmes is that you know we've been listeners you know we've we've had to almost and and we've had to find really innovative and um impactful ways of speaking whether that's directly or indirectly and you know in those very i guess um thoughtful ways that we've had to do those those have been some of the most impactful ways you know you look at some incredible leaders around the world who've been women you know in very few words I think we can really change the world in the way that people think but also making space for others to be there as well is definitely a gift of of femme so We are going to finish this episode with some rapid fire questions for Jordan. I hope you found this episode helpful. Please start following Jordan's work. If you aren't already, check out her super fun Instagram account at Jordan Burnoff. Tune into her new podcast. Check out her website. And if you found this episode insightful, please share it. Here we go with the rapid fire questions. Thoughts on Greta Thunberg? I think Greta has been an incredible advocate for young people's voices. I think she is extremely powerful. And I think um, she started something really incredible and created a way for more young people to to be a part of the, the action. What does climate feminism mean to you? Climate feminism means a future where women are safe and understood and equitably included in the conversation and in the action and, you know, a part of decision-making in a very big and real sustainable way. Climate feminist that inspires you? Uh, Melina Lubkane-Mossimo. What's the most impactful action individuals can do to help solve the climate crisis? Oh, I think people can vote for one. People can vote for people that are um, making change for climate and not false solutions. Self-care for climate care. What do you do to take care of yourself? Oh, self-care for climate care. It's definitely going back to the source, getting outside, going to the water, going to the land, um, looking up to the sky, you know, seeing, seeing all the wildlife and just being present. Thank you for listening to Plugged In. This podcast has been created on the lands of Historic Treaty 18 on the traditional territory of the Petun and the Huron-Wendat nations. 
I'm grateful to our neighbors, the Chippewas of Saugeen First Nation and the Chippewas of Nawash Unceded First Nation, for their ongoing work to protect and care for the land, waters, and peoples here on the southern shores of Georgian Bay. Thank you to Ursilia Serafini and Summerhill for supporting me with the time to do this work. I'm so grateful to get the chance to be a resident podcaster at Summerhill. It's a real pleasure. For show notes and more information on the episodes, to join the All We Can Save book circle I lead, or to take part in a self-care for climate care retreat, please check out pluggedinpodcast.ca. There you can join my mailing list and follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for updates. Look forward to having you join me next time. Thanks. Take care.